Hey, hey, it's Animation Celery. Crunchy conversations about classic cartoons. They're ambiguously gay. They're ambiguously gay. The ambiguously gay duo. I'm Micah. I'm Matsy. I guess I'll leave that to your imagination. That's what ambiguous means. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> Here on Animation Celery, we give each other cartoons to watch and then come back and review and discuss them. This time, we have gone back and looked at a couple of cartoons that we previously looked at for a bit of a second helping here on our 20th episode. We will get to that shortly, but first, let's talk about whatever else we want to. I think there's one thing we really need to talk about, so I'll let yes. Micah start it off. Okay, uh... Masters of the Universe Revelation. Yeah. You finally watched them. Yeah. Yeah? Yep, I watched them. Okay. How do we want to... How well, do we want to go uh, about this? We'll spoil the heck out of it. All right, um, yeah. I mean, there's there's five episodes, Um, and I guess we're, you know, we'll try to hold back a little bit, but, you know, spoilers yeah. may happen. Especially because the first episode is pretty eventful. Right. And I've been following the drama of this because uh, the plot basically leaked and it was exactly as the leak said it was. Mm, yeah, I remember you mentioning this on a previous episode. Yeah. Right, right. Um, so it's a Tila-focused, uh, at least through five episodes, it's a Tila-focused show. Yes. Yeah, so He-Man essentially gets written out. Which I think, I don't know if it'll continue being that way, but uh, I think one of the problems is that He-Man is overpowered. So I think that's one reason to write him out. You know, I thought exactly the same thing, like as I was trying to wrap my head around the series. Yeah. Like, and I thought, well, actually, you know, He-Man is like Superman. It's right. like he has no weakness. Generally speaking, an episode of Masters of the Universe, He-Man and the Masters of the Universe, I should say, yeah. is him it most of it is them discerning that Skeletor has a plan and mm -hmm. then figuring out the best way to thwart the plan and the actual mechanics of thwarting the plan is relatively trivial it's just right. you know it might be delayed slightly by a brief fight scene as Skeletor throws minions at He-Man but the the actual doing of the thing that will solve the problem is is not an issue He-Man can just do it yeah, in one filmation episode, He-Man in his most enhanced form threw Castle Grayskull. <laughs> Man. Actually, my favorite He-Man super feat was one where he ran around the perimeter of a lake several times. And then while going at the super speed, ran away from the lake and took the whole body of water with him. I remember a similar one where he was like rubbing a desert to turn it into a pane of glass. <laughs> <laughs> That's what new adventures of He-Man is missing. <laughs> so yeah, he's, he's written out early on. And you know, another thing about this is that Tila has always had a journey to go on. I don't know if they're going to change her destiny, but she was always supposed to replace the sorceress. Right. So at some point they had to tell the storyline, if this is what they're doing. I guess, because to me, it really seemed like they totally forgot about that aspect of it. Yeah, yeah. Like, there's a lot. So, 
I've been, I've, I've kind of seen some of the internet's meme smiths and YouTubers making their fame and fortune on images and videos and reviews, generally talking about how bad this is. Huh. Um, there was one that I saw where some, it was um, one of the PSAs from the Filmation series with right. Tila explaining that some characters had made a mistake and didn't admit it and everything could have been resolved so much better if they had just admitted that they made a mistake. And uh, like this video was directed at Kevin Smith. And I think at the end, Orko shows up and says something about how oh, I never make mistakes or whatever, but they had like photoshopped Kevin Smith's face onto Orko. I don't personally believe that he's that involved. He's a he, script supervisor in the credits. I think he's the name and that's about it. He wrote the first episode. Mm. And he's a script editor. I can and an executive producer. You can also see some of his vanity casting uh, here oh, yeah. and there. Like uh, Stinkor has a brief moment in the beginning of episode two. Mm. He's voiced by Jason Mewes. Okay. Um, Mark Hamill. You know, Mark Hamill's a legitimate voice actor. It's not. Yeah. It's not a stretch to have him cast in a cartoon, but given that. Kevin Smith loves Star Wars and he loves Batman and he's used Mark Hamill previously in one of his movies, at least. Um, Kevin Conroy, who's the voice of Batman in Batman, the animated series, is the voice of Merman in this. So you're saying that you believe that he's firmly got his grip on this. I don't know that he's got his grip that firmly, but you can see things peeking in like it's not at, at it's least not, on the producer level. It's not as bad. You know, I. I guess I never really thought it was going to be as bad as I thought it was going to be. Mm. But you can see little bits of like, oh, okay, like Jason Mewes would not be Stinkor if Kevin Smith wasn't involved in this. Um, okay. What is your overall opinion of this series? Huh. Well, I think it's mostly pretty good. I also feel at this point that it doesn't matter. Like, He-Man has been reiterated once before. Yes. And this is Mattel's last gasp before they lose the cartoon rights to it. Hmm. So it'll be reiterated again. And I feel it's like, like, for a while I was watching all of the uh, DC uh, comics animations from Warner Brothers. Right. But so many of them have so many different universes, just like the DC comics, that some of them really go willy nilly with it. And it's almost like a spectacle of this is what uh, Black Manta is doing this time around. And this is what Deathstroke is doing in this reality. Right. Right. Which means you can kill them. You can, you know, you can do all kinds of crazy stuff. And, you know, Atlantis can flood the world. I know that's part of a comic storyline, but I'm saying that. That all these amount to not really mattering because mm -hmm, yeah. the next one won't be about it at all. And I kind of felt that way with this, right? Like, oh, this character is a cyborg now. Doesn't matter, you know? Yeah, I had a similar. Well, I shouldn't say I had a similar. I came to a similar conclusion, but maybe for different reasons. Like I yeah. wasn't thinking about the broad strokes of what this would mean for the Masters of the Universe IP going forward. I was just watching yeah. this. Um. And I thought I thought about this a lot because I was trying to wrap my head around what I actually thought of it, because 
what I decided is that I don't care. It's not, mm. it's not really good. It's not really bad. It's just nothing. Like <laughs> I thought, and I thought so much about what makes, why I like certain cartoons and why, you know, maybe I don't. And this sounds really simple and maybe borderline condescending, but it's the mm. truth. I think when I think about the cartoons that I love the most, they all have at least one of three things. Mm-hmm. Interesting characters, interesting story, and interesting like writing at a macro mm. level or, or a micro level, I guess. Like, right. like consider, you know, Star versus the Forces of Evil. That has an interesting mm. story. Uh, Adventure Time has an interesting um, writing to it. Mm. Uh, what else? She-Ra and the Princesses of Power, which is the cartoon that you really have to compare Revelation to the most, I think, because well, it's, it's a modern this, take on this. Well, universe. it's the same. It's the same universe. But that oh, one yeah. has interesting characters. Mm. And I was thinking about this and the story isn't that interesting. The writing is that second episode. There is a sequence with at Snake Mountain where hmm. Triclops has kind of taken over in the absence of Skeletor, because another spoiler at the same time that He-Man is written out, Skeletor also is. Mm-hmm. And Triclops, who's played by Henry Rollins, which is kind of funny. Um, his, the, the dialogue that he has running his little cult hmm. is some of the hokiest stuff I have heard since the original filmation cartoon. Well, should it be then? I don't, man, I was just kind of like, he says something about like the, I, I can't remember what it is, but like it, it's, it's a play on the father, the son and the Holy ghost or something. Right. And right, it's right. like, I gotcha. it's something like the father, the son and the Holy sprocket because they're a technology yeah. cult, um, right. worshiping motherboard. Um, and there's something about live. It allows us something allows us to live or diode. I'm like, shut up. Right, right. Funny enough, their technology cult is fueled by a magical artifact, but... I guess, yeah. But yeah, I, I just found, like, this... I, I thought about that, and I realized that this ticks none of the boxes. I just don't care about anything that happens in it. The only thing I liked about it mm-hmm. was... And I'm not saying that I... You know, there was nothing in it that I actively disliked. Like, I'm not... I'm not going to make my fame and fortune talking about how bad it is. I just think Mm. it's kind of inconsequential. The Mm. thing that I think it did pretty well was that I like the idea that they doubled down on how special some of the characters abilities are. Like kind of like in, in that second episode when at the beginning that I was talking about where um, the two mercs walk into this um, shack and they're appalled by the absolute stench of it. Like it's more than the filtration system can handle. And there's garbage and rotten stuff everywhere. Yeah. And through all this, they're like, this, this is an incredible stench. And as I said earlier, Stinkor turns out to be there. And mm. I liked the idea that in a setting that is already going to smell really bad like that. They <laughs> said Stinkor is the thing that pushes it up to 11. Like even it in a place be. that stinks, Stinkor really stinks. And I mm. like that. I like, I like that they sometimes do that where they, oh. 
They okay. they let the characters, you know, this is the reason why they're a named character in this show, because their powers go beyond what is normal. I'll Other tell you than, what, mm-hmm. I feel I feel the opposite on this. Yeah. So, OK, Tila kicks all kinds of ass in this. Yes. Men at arms. He's, he's a wrecking ball. Mm hmm. Uh. I've always liked Skeletor's monstrous henchmen better than the good guys. Okay. And they don't have a lot to do in this. So, like, every trap jaw figurine that comes out is like a prized release. Mm. People love trap jaw. Yeah, I love tra- trap jaw was one of my favorites when I first got into Masters of the Universe. In the 2002 Masters cartoon, they sold him down way far. I mean, he looked cooler, but he didn't do very much. Yeah. And in, in this show, he does nothing. He's a jobber. He eats a, <laughs> he eats a sword once, which is cool. Yeah. Yeah. He doesn't do anything with his interchangeable arm. No. Um, and he, he just gets embarrassed repeatedly. And Triclops spins his eyes quite a bit. No zapping. Yeah, the eyes don't have any effect. He seems to only change them... He seems to only change them to the circle one so that he can narrow it. Yes. <laughs> That's the only purpose for it. You know, now that you're saying emoting. Now that you're saying this, maybe the only thing I like about this series is Stinkor. Well, there's the irony. So <laughs> Stinkor in the 2002 series, his whole deal was that he was ridiculous, right? <laughs> that nobody took him seriously, which is ironic to me because in real life warfare, uh, a bad stink is like a very potent weapon to have and like it's a way more uh it adds more to skeletor's arsenal than a guy with a big crab claw yes yeah, right yeah um and in this series because he's the first guy you see he's still supposed to be ridiculous right he's still just their bounty mark he does more than merman does merman just gets embarrassed yeah and yep. you know like I said, I like the Monster Men. I, I kind of want Merman to hold his own. They can defeat him, but it shouldn't be just like, why do we need He-Man again? Tila and Man-at-Arms can just, you know, run amok amongst seemingly any kind of opposition. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I, like I said, I just kind of don't have the mental energy for it. Like, uh. I think... Like, the characters just aren't that interesting. Like like I said, like, the character's not interesting. The story's not interesting. The writing can be bad in places. Um, you think about, you compare it to She-Ra and the Princesses of Power, which, yeah. you know, it's it's writing has some moments that are like, like the, the finale of the first season where there's kind of like a Care Bear stare moment with all the princesses. I was kind of like, okay, that's dumb. Hmm. But the the characters are so much more interesting. Well, like, this mm-hmm. this has more of a compressed time, so it's more like it's kind of like an amusement ride that literally takes you to heaven and hell. Yeah, that was another actually thing that I liked there was when I first saw the heaven equivalent. Really? Because um, it well, kind of this this show is in a hurry to show you every toy that ever was. Well, that's the thing. I was like, yeah. oh wow, they remember the Eternia playset. Hmm. Um. I, I like that some of my favorite action figures were in it that were never that weren't featured heavily in the, the original show. OK, like, here you go. As, as much as I think that Trap Draw and Merman don't get to do anything. Mm-hmm. This is a good take on Scareglow. 
Yeah, Scareglow was one of the Scareglow was one of the action figures that I was like, "Ooh, I want that one." And eventually got it. Um mm. so I was like excited to see that Scareglow di- Scareglow did some stuff. Yeah, a good a good reason for why he is. But again, it's kind of like an amusement park, right? It's like Yeah. <laughs> he's not even cold and here you go, <laughs> right? But Yeah. So I think part of this is I don't think that Sarah Michelle Gellar is a very good voice actress. No. Wow. I I didn't know what to think of Tila's voice. And then I saw her name in the credits and went, oh, okay. A lot of people don't like that she's just sort of this joyless, tough girl. And I don't really... F- I know she could play differently. Because I'm thinking of her as Buffy the Vampire Slayer. She's got different modes. But maybe without her face, you know, it's, maybe this is all she's got. Maybe that's all it's called for. I think, I don't know. I, maybe they're asking Tila to do more than the character was, or either more or different stuff than the character was designed to do. Because Well, I kind of, uh, it's a thing that I don't like anyway in shows, like when uh, characters are humorless, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and she's more or less that in this. Yeah. And I think... If you if you want to go by classic Tila, she's got more dimension than this. Yeah, Tila, I don't know. It's like they kind of had to remake all the characters from scratch here. It's like, because none of the characters in the original series were really that defined in, well, in any major way. Here's the thing, like, they advertise this as a continuation of Filmation. Right. But it's not. It's... uh. I, my impression of the master's continuity is that it keeps changing, but it tries to integrate everything and that the 2002 series has precedence and filmation things are true as long as they're not contradicted by that series. That's the kind of impression I get. Hmm. Okay. And then there's the, the, there's like injections of other stuff in order to work in all the material, all the many comics and so on. But yeah, I think I think like the biggest example of that is in Roboto shows up and they hmm. kind of reiterate yeah you know roboto obviously duncan built roboto based on downloading his own memories i mean we all know that from outer space i think he was i don't i don't remember his origin i think originally he's from outer space Mm. duncan fixed him i think but Mm, um yeah um one of the characters that is very definitely her later iteration is evil lynn yeah yeah uh, yeah, <laughs> I I don't mind that she is kind of uh, world weary and full of regret for having devoted herself to Skeletor. Yeah, but they give her the posh voice that she had in the later series, which is all the funnier to think about. What if she was like sneering and hissing like she did in Filmation the whole time? Well, you know, I mean, part of that is her voice actress. Which right. is um, what's her name? Lena Lena Headley, Lena Lena Hetty, Lena Hetty. Yeah, um, Cersei from Game of Thrones. Yeah, um, just kind of jumping on that little bandwagon. But yeah, she's exists. Uh, I don't. I yeah. I think Orko is so weird as a instead of a purely comic relief character, he's a purely dramatic tragic character now, and yeah. he's just kind of beaten down. Like he'll kind of. He's constantly self-deprecating about like, oh, I guess I'm a screw up. <laughs> right. Like, like mm, he's so he, he gets t- that that tone of his dialogue gets real tiresome real fast because it's all he does. 
which is funny because, well, anyway, the, there's not a lot of, it's again, it's like a thrill ride, right? So yeah, he, he makes the most of every time he can come on and whimper. I guess. Yeah. Here's a th- another inconsistency is that his magic still doesn't work right on Trolla. I know it's not really Trolla, but you know, that's one of his things is that when he goes back to Trolla, he's a badass wizard again. Well, I mean, that's one of the retcons in this where he mm. explains like, you know, he was the only Trollin who was never any good at magic. Right, right. As opposed to a, uh, well, they get that, they contradict that in Filmation too. Mm. But, um, you know which character is the most developed he's ever been? Is Cringer. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He gets like a good a good bit of dialogue in there. Mm-hmm. He's wise, which is kind of funny. And yeah. even like, even Battle Cat, you get the feeling in the old shows, they didn't know what to do with him. Mm-hmm. He's just kind of there, right? Yeah. He's hardly better than it, uh, something for He-Man to talk to. I will say, I'm usually pretty good at picking up voice actors. Mm-hmm. I had no idea until I saw it in the credits that Cringer was Steven Root. I've never huh. heard Steven Root do that kind of voice before. Mm. And I've I've seen Steven Root do a lot. Of, you know, he was a lot of characters in King of the Hill. He's uh, uh, he's Finn's dad in Adventure Time. Mm. Um, I've seen him in a bunch of cartoons and I was just, oh, I've never heard Steven Root do a voice like that before. Now, if I put my nostalgia goggles on, I'm not sure I like any of these voices more than their originals. Mm. No. Nah, yeah. By the way, really. Alan Oppenheimer, the original Skeletor, uh, yeah. he is Mossman in this. Right. Briefly. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. I, I don't mind. Mark, Mark Hamill's Skeletor is fine. I like him fine. You know, I actually, that was one of the things I was most worried about. And then hearing it, like, I, I, you, you hear Mark Hamill is going to do a voice. You kind of go, okay, there's like two ways this could go. And he's mm. going to go skeleton. He's going to do Skeletor. And you go, OK, I already know what this voice is going to sound like. He's going to sound like the Joker. And it no. kind of does, but it also doesn't. Like, no, I, he's, he doesn't want to do that anymore. Yeah. It's too hard on his voice. It's just although it's just I can't imagine. Yeah, go ahead. it's just different enough that mm. I stopped thinking about it. Like, I wasn't just sitting there going, oh, it's Mark Hamill doing the one voice he does. And I just, mm. it just kind of actually, you know what, this is, it's reminiscent of the Joker, but it's different enough that I, I'm along for the ride on this. Uh. So I don't know, I guess on the whole, I would say if you want to watch this fine, go ahead. Just don't expect much from it. It's not as bad as the internet is making it out to be. I think people are exaggerating no. for the sake of the sweet, sweet hits. Oh but, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, even people that say like, no, this isn't as bad as you think it is are still clickbaiting it. <laughs> yeah, it's it's not as bad as you think it is. It's also not very good. It's just kind of. Hmm? Yeah, I don't think it's I, I think it's I think it's good. It's just I don't know. I'm in a weird spot because I kind of want to, you know, thumb it to everybody who's freaking out about this about the wrong reasons. But, yeah. you know, I think if you. If you're interested in this universe and you really want to watch good cartoon, She-Ra and the Princesses of Power is what you want. I guess my other my other note from previous weeks, um, 
when we were looking at uh, the vastly superior New Adventures of He-Man. <laughs> and you made an allusion to a Primus song, Seas of Cheese. Uh, it's an album, Sailing the Seas of al- Cheese. Really? I, I give it a, maybe it was just one track I listened to. Maybe then. there is also a song called Sailing the Seas of I th- Cheese. I think there is a song. Okay, sure. Yeah. Fair enough. And it was no good. <laughs> it was... Uh, <laughs> It filled the requisites for being a song. Would you say um, that Primus sucks? Oh, well, I don't know. You know, uh, our, our mutual friend, I, I, he was giving me a ride one day. Mm-hmm. And he mentioned, you know, oh, I was just listening to uh, uh, your podcast before I picked you up. Right. And so it was the <laughs> it was that episode. Uh-huh. And he said, the episode is called Primus Sucks. Is that in reference to the band? I kind of like Primus. And I had to admit, yeah, it is. Do, mm, do I need to explain Primus Sucks? I guess. Uh, the, it's, it's kind of a phrase of endearment to the band. Oh, yeah? Like, the, like Primus fans will hmm. say, Primus Sucks. Oh. Like, it's, it's how they... It's how they show their allegiance to the band is by saying that Primus sucks when it is actually a key phrase that means that they are big enough fans of the band that they like them enough to know that saying Primus sucks means that Primus is good. It's a beastly thing. <laughs> ah, it's, yeah, it's owning it. It's, yeah, it's yeah. bad. Yeah. Okay. Oh, so you're in the so you're conveying that Primus is great. Primus is okay. So, Masters of the Universe Revelation doesn't make Matsy feel anything one way or the other? No. (laughs) (laughs) And Primus is okay. (laughs) I like Radiohead. I like Garbage. I like the White Stripes. I like... Okay. um, I'm sure there's another band, but I can't... Oh, Beck. I like Beck. There, there's some things that I actually like. Well, how about I summarize a little shop episode and see if that's something you like as well. Okay. So you assigned to me, I loathe the parade directed by Karen Peterson in 1991 from the series little shop based on little shop of horrors. Yep. Yes. We've looked at this once before. This is sort of as Beetlejuice, the cartoon is to the movie. That's what we're looking at with little shop. There's still a man-eating plant, but he never really eats anybody. And Seymour and Audrey are little kids in this. And it's musical. Yeah, yeah. There's a, they've added uh, some rap to the doo-wop. <laughs> yeah. So in this particular storyline, Seymour, the little nerd, or wannabe nerd, is tagging along with Audrey to help in the selection of a birthday present for her father, Mr. Mushnik. While picking her regular gift of red suspenders, Audrey spots a poster for the Tournament of Hoses Parade, a parade to honor firefighting, Oh, which will be headed... Hmm? Something that's, that's an important piece of Audrey. She really wants to be a firefighter. Yeah, you know what's funny is the last time we talked, I'd watched some extra episodes, mm-hmm. and they had a running gag where her obsession changed each episode. That's what I thought you said. It was true. It's true. The one she wanted to be a refrigerator repair person. And the next one, she abandoned that to be an attorney. Hmm. Um, but I guess when they don't do that gag, the baseline is that she is about firefighting. Okay. 
I guess. Yeah. At any rate, the Tournament of Hoses Parade, it'll be headed by the Fire Queen of the Year. Seymour considers buying a gift for Mr. Mushnik from the used magnet store, but a shady salesman gets Seymour's attention from an alley. He sells Seymour a Venus flytrap. Though Mushnik, a florist, isn't excited about getting a plant as a present, Seymour's buddy, the man-eating plant Junior, falls head over heels for the carnivorous plant. Junior doesn't appreciate that Venus de Mila, as he calls the flytrap, doesn't have high intelligence as he does. He just thinks that she's not that into him. So the, Le- the veggie Lothario tries to woo Venus with a candlelit dinner. Seymour amiably plays the roles of waiter and musician, but only earns abuse. Then we get Junior's rap interlude, Be Somebody! Later, Audrey is working on the float for the parade. Seymour shows up in time to get abused by the bully, Payne Driller. Then the Fire Queen shows up like some kind of fairy godmother, and she anoints Audrey, Little Miss Fireplug, complete with a magical change of clothes to a dress and crown. Payne steals Seymour's idea of getting flowers for Audrey's float. Then he actually steals Venus de Mila from the shop. And I thought this was cute. His, his uh, headgear, his braces, has unlimited functionality. So he's got like a glass cutter in there. Yeah. And he, he, he cuts his exact silhouette in the window. That's always a good gag. Yeah. So as he's stealing... Uh, the carnivorous plant, Seymour literally bumps into him in the street and Payne teams up with his bulldog Undebite to knock the wannabe nerd around. But the beating luckily spills into the aforementioned used magnet store and Payne gets stuck by his braces to a shocking electromagnet. Audrey sees Seymour and Demila and takes it as a bouquet for her float the flytrap also has kind of like a floral arrangement on it. During a doo-wop duet, Seymour fails to loyally return Demila to Junior, opting instead to please his crush. However, the secret is blown when Seymour sees the parade on television. Uh, junior. Oh, sorry, Junior. Yeah. Junior sees the parade on television. He hurries to attack the float, and he causes a disaster before Seymour can inform him that only the flowers from Demila's arrangement are there. She's back at the shop. Without her flowers, though, Venus Demila loses all of her appeal from Junior. And finally, there's a duet between Junior and Seymour about love, ending with Junior sicking some dogs on Seymour as a revenge. All right, so... Uh, <laughs> I guess we take it from the beginning... We have your favorite line from the opening credits. Yo, the little shop posse's gaining respect, so break out before I put you in check. Yep, that's burned into my brain. <laughs> and his rap in the middle, be somebody, that refrain comes too much. Yeah. Which, the other lyrics are pretty good, though. The one I was t- uh, taken with was, we got roots, we go back, we got history, Jack. And what flows in our veins energizes our brains, which in turn gives us power to blossom and flower. Pretty good. Just filled out. Yeah, the songs 
continue to be very well done in this. Like, I thought mm. all three of them were. The love song at the end, I thought, was pretty cool, too. Like, I, mm-hmm. I really like, I will say, the songs were my favorite part of this episode. <laughs> okay. That's saying something. Yeah. There's good stuff. Like, I think I was given a moment to think about the designs in this and the overall style. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like Schoolhouse Rock without being an overt homage to it. I guess. Yeah. And I had trouble. I was looking for, to see if it was in other episodes. I like Audrey's funny walk in this. Oh, yeah. She has a walk. Yeah. Her toes are inward and she's just cycling. She's like a, a, a wind up toy that has uh, feet that go one in front of each other. That's like the first shot in this episode. And it was the first thing I noticed. Like my eyes were just drawn to her feet like a weird magnet. I was like, what yeah. is up with her feet? <laughs> and and funny, they animate her from a long distance that way and then closer up. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I, I, I kind of like her generally slouched posture, too. Mm. So I think I think the characters look pretty good and they have personality. Yes. <laughs> so I mentioned Pain Driller's headgear and all its multifunctionality. Yeah. The rubber bands from his headgear must be made from the same stuff as the bottle nipple of baby man from mighty heroes. (laughs) I think it's like vibranium, but for rubber, it's like the, it's like the rubber equivalent of carbon fiber. Hmm. It's just indestructible. Yeah. He uses it to, uh, fire a projectile that knocks a bucket on a Seymour's head. And later on he hooks it with his bulldog and uses it like a wrestling ring, uh, rope to bounce Seymour. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, also about pain. He apparently was getting electrocuted all through the night and into the next day. <laughs> well, <laughs> I don't know that electrical current was really passing through. Like, I don't think I don't think electrical no, was, current goes through a magnet, but I don't either. But that was the impression it gave, didn't it? Yeah, I think he said later that like his mouth, like at the very end, like at the last scene of him after he had been there for hours and hours. That's when he said, my mouth is getting sore. Yeah. Still, okay. I'm like, doesn't somebody work in this store? Like, some, wouldn't somebody have noticed at some point? Like, you know, if we assume close, that it was closed. Close to the parade. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> Weird. So it's funny, too. I didn't I forgot at the beginning that he mentioned the used magnet store as the setup for it <laughs> for the seemingly random store with a hyper powered magnet. I kind of had the opposite reaction. I was like, oh, they're paying that off. <laughs> Oh, okay. And then you see the whole store. There's like just a giant magnet covered in nails. <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't think I noticed, like, there. I don't know that there was a sign outside that said it was the used magnet store. I think they just mm. went in and I started to see magnets in the background and foreground and went, oh, this is that store. Uh, funny. <laughs> you know, we felt before that this is a pretty funny show. Yeah. Uh, I like Seymour's... It's not a deadpan exactly, but he's got sort of a resignation for his fate. <laughs> yeah. You know, where he, he sometimes just isn't that excited about it. Like, I like him talking to Payne saying, I didn't see you there. I didn't see that pile of two by fours either. Yeah, yeah. It's and, mm, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say it's got an interesting writing style to it for sure. Um It it felt a little frenetic to me, like it like, well, maybe not frenetic, maybe like. I was thinking that 
these were like every sequence in this was panels on a storyboard that they didn't really give a lot of thought on how to link together seamlessly. Uh. Like I didn't like this episode as much as I liked the first one. Mm. Um, I thought it was a little slipshod. Um, I thought the music was really good. I, I really liked the songs. Um, mm-hmm. I thought the timing on a lot of things, like there was a sequence where they're eating and like, um, Seymour comes in and says that he's serving maggots, which is, right. you know, I mean, and keep in mind, these are plants. This is the kind of thing they eat. Like, I got no problem well, with that. Well, it's a fly trap. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I got no problem with that. And then he like lifts the, for the third episode in a row, the silver dome thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, and well, I can't remember. They exa- fly? Is that what they fly you- away? Like they're flies yeah. and they fly away. And I can't. I can't remember exactly what the dialogue was, but I felt like the flies fly away and then Junior says the thing that he should have said before the Silver Dome thing was opened. Oh, and I then see like mean. like the timing of the dialogue in a lot of places in this was all wrong. Hmm. I mean, you know, hmm. it get <laughs> I'm, you know, given the cartoon that I have to talk about where I'm I don't have much to I mean, I'm just I'm just saying, you know, the, there's a curve here, and this is sort of towards the bottom of the curve, but I did notice. Right, right. You know, I never was that excited about this cartoon as a kid. Mm. I think my overall impression is better looking back at it. Agreed. <laughs> yeah. I think my deal when I was a kid was, why isn't it called Little Shop of Horrors? Right. Like, I, like I <laughs> kind of felt, I kind of felt offended that in my mind, like, I didn't understand the ideas of, well, you know, he's not going to be a plant that eats people. It's not going to be a right. horror thing. Um, I understand it now. But at the time, I was kind of offended at the idea that they were trying to pass this off as something else. Right. And as a kid, I loved the Little Shop of Horrors movie. I still do. Mm-hmm. I think it's great. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, I had the same feeling. Yeah. So, I don't know, your summary I think it's all right. This is a show that's pretty watchable, I think. Yeah, I agree with that. I think this isn't one of the better episodes of it, but it's, you know, if you were to glance at a still of Little Shop, you might not know what you're getting into. But if you mm-hmm. actually watch it, it's, like you said, pretty watchable. And I think, I personally think that the music is beyond reproach. All right. Well, one generally positive review. Uh, let's bounce off of Pain Driller's <laughs> wrestling rope uh, rubber band. Oh, this rock and roll. Oh, boy. Okay, so... Up to rock. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the next cartoon. Yeah, all right. So now we got Hulk Hogan's Rock and Wrestling, which aired in 1986 to 1987 and was basically... You know, most 80s cartoons were a marketing vehicle for something. And this was a marketing vehicle for the WWF, now WWE, at the time when it was just starting to expand, or it was in the midst of its expansion from a little regional territory in the northeastern United States to a worldwide concern. Uh, and this is a cartoon about wrestlers, mostly Hulk Hogan, and his band of babyface friends and heel enemies as they do things generally unrelated to wrestling. So 
this episode, this is one of those cartoons that's often in two parts, like two little episode, two 10 minute episodes per <laughs> 20 minute cartoon. Oh, man. I'm trying to imagine a very special Hulk Hogan's rock and wrestling that takes all 21. <laughs> or even even a two-parter episode. Oh, my God. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. So the first half of this is called Captain Lou's Crash Diet. Captain Lou Albano is a manager. Uh, and in this cartoon, his deal is that he's fat. He's not actually that fat. And in fact... He appears in a live action segment of this where you can see that he's not actually that fat. He has clothes that cover the circumference of his belly. Now, that said, he did go on to play Mario in the Super Mario Brothers Super Show. So, <laughs> But he, he again isn't wearing like a genie vest that leaves his belly <laughs> fully exposed. <laughs> well, yeah, but like at this time, Mario was depicted as like the big the the yeah. fat one and then luigi was you know this was right after super mario brothers 2 so it was established was, that luigi was the tall skinny one he was also probably like 50 or something but well yeah yeah he, anyway so captain lou's crash diet uh it's monthly weigh-in time at the wrestling and following a few gags about the junkyard dog being groovy and andre the giant being too big for one scale the weigh-in man determines that captain lou albano is overweight and he needs to lose 40 pounds in 10 days. Captain Lou Albano is not a wrestler. I'm just going to throw that out there. He's a manager. Mm. He stands at the outside. Uh, so Captain Lou gets off to a good start at his usual diner, foregoing his usual gigantic meal in favor of a simple bowl of cottage cheese. But he can't resist swiping hamburgers from the nearby patrons. Desperate for help losing weight, he naturally goes to the first guy you think of when you think of svelte, svelte wrestlers, Andre the Giant. <laughs> yeah. Andre suggests that he once lost 100 pounds. No, he didn't. Ever. <laughs> in fact, this in this cartoon, they bill his weight as 498 pounds. Yeah. This is, yeah, yeah. This is around... 1986 i'm gonna say sure uh at wrestlemania one which was in 1985 he was 470 pounds at wrestlemania three two years later he was 520 pounds hmm. andre the giant does not lose weight in fact that's his whole deal that's why he died he was con continuously gaining weight um just his well, you know his Issue. Yeah, his they, they quantified his weight in this. So every cartoonish thing that he does, like he's in that trailer and it's tilting when he walks. Yeah. Although they, they tilt it the wrong way. But yeah, but but, but <laughs> somebody in real life <laughs> who is, you know, 500 pounds then has to contend with Andre the Giant is like breaking scales. and Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, there's. I this whole episode put me in mind of a real life wrestling story that I'll get to at the end. But um, okay. for now. So, yeah, Captain Lou needs to lose weight. And so he figures Andre the Giant knows how to lose weight. Um, Andre claims that he once lost 100 pounds by eating half what he normally does. And so using cartoon logic, Captain Lou eats half of what Andre the Giant normally does, which is. Yeah considerably more than Captain Lou normally does. And of course, this doesn't do much to help him. So 
So next, he tries jogging in the park with Hulk Hogan, but patronizing the snack vendors along the way negates his progress. JYD tries to help him work out by tasking him with moving all the junk from one side of his junkyard to the other, but Captain Lou quickly finds a discarded barbecue, and JYD finds him eating. There's a funny joke here where he claims that the barbecue turned on by itself and a steak just started grilling itself. <laughs> um, so at the weigh-in, Captain Lou has failed to lose any weight and is going to be kicked out of wrestling until Hulk notices the fact that Captain Lou, as a running gag in this cartoon, and I don't mean this episode, I mean this series, he yeah. always has food hidden all over his person. And so the friends get Lou to discard all of his hidden food, and after one final one-pound hoagie that he keeps secreted in his beard, Captain Lou makes weight. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Sorry. <laughs> no, it's funny. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean So you see. Captain Lou doesn't have an eating problem. He was just carrying 40 pounds of food. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) He celebrates by digging into all his discarded food and invites his friends to join in. Um, All of his floor food. (laughs) Yeah. I liked in the, as they're celebrating that Captain Captain Lou made weight, um, <laughs> they they're all just doing this spontaneous yay all right and you can hear um james avery as junkyard dog going yay about wrestling all right <laughs> <laughs> and oh my god <laughs> and then so he makes weight and they're all like yay about wrestling all right and then captain lou goes i am i mean that's right i am it never established that he was something like that that dialogue doesn't fit what was said to him it's it's right. an example of you know the the dialogue not really working properly but uh oh yeah whatever. this more so than any gripe you have with little shop oh yeah the, early on there's a bit where mean gene makes his cameo as a short order cook yeah and he i guess he's fully bought into being a, a short order cook right and he's He's upset because if uh, Captain Lou goes on a diet, it's going to be bad for him. Yeah. (laughs) And then he just gets bombarded by food for some reason. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) There was a part very early on when they're in line to get weighed. And, you know, it's like Junkyard Dog and Captain Lou and Hulk Hogan's behind him. And Andre the Giant Mm. is behind all of them. And then Junkyard Dog gets on the scale or whatever. And then in the next shot, it's... The shot is Junkyard Dog with Hulk Hogan behind him. And I think Captain Lou might be in the background. And then they just put the cell of Andre the Giant over top of Junkyard Dog. So Ah. that Andre is just kind of floating in midair with Junkyard Dog's feet sticking out underneath him. It's hard to explain. I'll probably tweet that as one of the images that I tweet for this episode. Mm. But it's I noticed I had to actually go back and compare. Like, did they just take that first shot and just put Andre on top of it? And it wasn't Mm. quite that, but they definitely slipped up. Yeah. And Captain Lou's size bounces all over the place. Oh, yeah. How big is he? There's one point where he's like the same size as Hulk Hogan, but, you know, much larger for his physique. Yeah. And sometimes he's quite squat. 
Yeah. I don't know. Um, anyway, after this, there's the this show will frequently have live action vignettes featuring the actual wrestlers. And we got to mm. get a couple of those right now with me and Gene Okerlund interviewing Tito Santana about his diet and conditioning. And Tito shares his special chili with Gene and Gene starts hopping after tasting it. And Tito explains that the secret ingredient that keeps him jumping in the wrestling ring is jumping beans. Presumably ha. Mexican jumping beans. I'm surprised he didn't go there. Um, speaking, of, speaking of not going there, I was heavily disappointed that he didn't have the presence to say Arriba as the uh, <laughs> as the scene transition had it flipping out, you know? Yeah, but you know what? If it makes you feel any better, I'm pretty sure that the shirt he was wearing said Arriba Santana on it. Uh, also, Mexican jumping beans. This is something that shows up in cartoons a lot. Mm. And I'm about to spoil it for people if you don't know what Mexican jumping beans are. Uh, they're not beans. They're the seed pods of a particular shrub in Mexico that have been inhabited by moth larvae. So the reason that Mexican jumping beans seem to jump when they're lightly heated is because they're infested with maggots. And he eats that before every wrestling match? I guess. Huh. Anyway, um, then we get another vignette. And this time, Gene, this one fits in as well, because Gene is out camping with Captain Lou and Hillbilly Jim. And Captain Lou claims that it's such an expensive camping trip, which Gene doesn't understand, until Captain Lou reveals in the background that he brought a fridge full of food with him and had to buy 100 miles of extension cord to keep it running. So I guess Captain Lou is okay with the jokes about his weight. Yeah. Um, so He better be. Yeah, well, yeah. Speaking of weight, this, I, I said, Captain Lou is not a wrestler. He doesn't need to lose weight necessarily. I don't, I don't know. Maybe he wrestled sometimes, but basically the idea of having to be a certain weight is actually a thing, even in phony wrestling. Hmm. Um, in the nineties, there was a wrestler, uh, Rodney and who is better known as Yokozuna, a big fat, he's, he's a Samoan guy. Or was he's passed away? Uh, he's a Samoan guy, but he was presented as a uh, Japanese sumo wrestler, and another wrestler also by the name of Big Van Vader. And in the '90s, their weight started to get a little out of control, and they were sent to a weight loss clinic at some university. And in true cartoon fashion, despite the fact that this is real life, they actually gained weight while they were there because they were bribing staff to bring them food. <laughs> okay. Um, it's sad. It, it is yeah. sad. Yokozuna actually ended up, according to uh, wrestling historian slash personality Jim Cornette, who was the, he kind of worked in talent relations in the WWF at that time. And according to him, Yokozuna just could not get his weight under control. And once he hit 802 pounds, the New York State Athletic Commission would no longer allow him to wrestle. And the WWF had to let him go just because he was his weight was dangerously high and he couldn't control it. Hmm. So this episode raises valid concerns and wrestlers, at least one wrestler, was a victim of it. Hmm. It's sad. 
So, <laughs> <laughs> what, a, what a sober look at the subject, too. Yeah, let's try to go. Let, let me let me see if I can get funnier here. Okay, uh, okay, Muscle Madness is the second half of this cartoon. Yes, Mus- with a great title card to start off with. Yeah, with Nikolai Volkov inflating the fabulous moolah. <laughs> Uh, so at, I guess, the gym supply store, uh, Hulk runs into Rowdy Roddy Piper, his arch nemesis, and the two of them both see an ad for the Ms. American Muscle Contest. Hulk is sure that Wendy Richter, his lady companion, well, not, you know, they're not romantically involved, but his, the token female of their group. She's a gorgeous lady of wrestling. I guess. (laughs) Uh, he's sure she could win the contest while Roddy is confident in the fabulous Moolah. At their respective hideouts, both Wendy and Moolah are initially annoyed at being entered in this contest without being consulted, but they agree to participate when Hulk and Roddy explain that Roddy and Hulk called them wimps. Wendy is eager to train for the contest while Moolah is just fat and lazy. Roddy, of course... (laughs) Well, what do you want me to say? (laughs) Roddy, of course, determines that the only way Moolah can win the contest is by cheating. So the Iron Sheik and Nikolai Volkov are sent to sabotage Wendy's training attempts. Their plan of flooding out Hulk's gym is swiftly thwarted by an Andre the Giant oblivious to their plot. And that's kind of all they try. At the contest... The heels manage to make Moolah look stronger by hiding balloons on her arms. This is ridiculous because, well, I mean, because of the whole idea of it. But like what happens is why wouldn't. Yeah. Why wouldn't you just cover something that was not poppable? Yeah. But also like the sequence is Roddy tells Nikolai Volkov to give him a balloon. And so Nikolai has this comedic moment where he's trying to blow up a balloon through his doctor's mask. And then Roddy says that he didn't ask him to blow up the balloon. So he takes an uninflated balloon and puts it on Mula's arm and covers it with this flesh-covered putty and then inflates it. Which, in my mind, would, like, cause the putty to slough off? I guess they really laid it on thick. Wah-ha! Anyway... So they make her look stronger with these balloons on her arms, I guess, which succeeds in having her get higher scores from the judges than Wendy. And then when it's time for the weightlifting competition, the devious one, Mr. Fuji, uses a cartoon electromagnet. There's the through line for these two episodes. Yes. (laughs) Um, He uses this cartoon electromagnet to make the barbell easier for Moolah to lift and harder for Wendy to lift. So Mula wins the competition, but when Fuji carrying the magnet causes the barbell to roll over the host, Mula is unable to actually lift it, straining enough to burst her balloon muscles. Wendy can easily lift the weight, and upon seeing these new developments, the judges disqualify Mula and award the prize to Wendy. Hulk gloats, and Roddy makes another challenge, this time bowling, until both Wendy and Mula tamp down the male rivalry. Um, by the way, mm. Roddy is confident in Fabulous Moolah being like Miss American Muscle or whatever. Okay. I'm not saying that it's not possible, but I'm going to throw this out here. At the time this episode aired, Fabulous Moolah was 64 years old. But well. but also still actively wrestling. So, 
I guess she's evergreen in rock and wrestling. Yeah, although she does look like she has this kind of wicked witch look to her, which mm. is accurate to the person. I said before in the last time we talked about this, Mula was right. not a good person. Um, <laughs> I, li- I like that you can always spin a downer <laughs> a rock and wrestling cartoon. <laughs> I mean, wrestling's a tragic industry in a lot of ways. Right. There's a, oh, you want something funny. Um, okay. There's a wrestling show, a uh, competition to WWE called AEW. And they recently had an episode where a wrestler named Nick Gage, he's he's a hardcore, brutal, garbage wrestler who like uses all kinds of sharp things to hurt everybody. Um, oh, and boy. he was in a match with Chris Jericho. And one of Nick Gage's things that he does is he uses uh, one of those rolling pizza cutters on his opponents. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And so he's doing this, like the, he starts using this pizza cutter on Jericho's forehead and it does the thing where that some shows do now where they go picture in picture for the commercials instead of, you okay. know, instead of just cutting like, we'll be right back and go away. And the commercial comes on instead. They'll have like mm. the show playing in a little box in the bottom while the commercial is going on. Yeah. The first commercial that shows up is Domino's pizza. <laughs> Okay. Domino's was not happy about that. They are rethinking their um, sponsorship. But uh, that's a funny thing, right? <laughs> yeah, pretty funny. <laughs> so I got I got a I got a funny thing for okay, you here. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so IMDb's top review for the series as a whole. Uh huh. This is from Matt says three sixteen. <laughs> Pure 1980s crap is <laughs> well, the sum of it. I mean, he's not wrong. <laughs> yeah. This time, you know, because we've watched this before and, you know, it's still made pretty shoddily. It's still what it is. This time I decided to watch the credits very, very carefully and see if there were any names that I actually recognized from the wrestling world involved in the okay. production of this at all. And the closest that it comes is the the title was developed in part by Wendy Richter, uh, not Wendy Richter, Cindy Lauper. Right. There is no other wrestling name, not even in a producer role associated with this show. I did like that there was a <laughs> a, a credit for main title theme music and lyrics. Mm-hmm. The lyrics are. Occasionally a crowd going, Hulk, Hulk. <laughs> so somebody got maybe somebody got credit for that. Maybe there's a long version. <laughs> the extended. <laughs> 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 where, where there's like a rap about how great Hulk Hogan is. <laughs> yeah. You know, in a part where the music all stops and then a piano picks up and <laughs> somebody like speaks, sings some stuff about Hulk. Yeah. So now you, you said you're watching the end credits. Do the end credits have an ad for another cartoon? Uh, briefly. Um, yeah. The one I watched had Cadillacs and dinosaurs. Yeah, that's the one. Which is, yep. Yeah. It's an, it's a whole different era. So this would have been a mega rerun. Yeah. I believe it was rerun until 1987, if I'm not mistaken. Or no, wait, it aired until 1987. Well, much later. Yeah. It aired until 1987 and continued until 89 or so. I don't, anyway. Anyway, I also, yeah. um, last week I mentioned, I wonder if this is on WWE's network and you said, yeah, 
it was until Hulk Hogan had it removed. I think that's the story. It's close. Um, okay. Oh, man, this is a downer again. All right. <laughs> this is... Um, some of you might remember there was a scandal a few years ago where Hulk Hogan was caught on tape saying some bad things. Um, mm. And at that time, WWE kind of scrubbed Hulk Hogan from all of their stuff. Oh, it was from the other direction. Yeah, it was. It wasn't Hulk Hogan making WWE remove it. It was WWE removing it because Hulk Hogan was in it. You you said that that was on his sex tape, right? Yes. Oh, still have not watched it. <laughs> Got to make the time, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it's not cartoon research, so I won't make you. <laughs> right. Uh, There's an assignment. Speaking of making the time. Though, yeah. I think we need to get on to what we're doing next week. Yeah. This seems like a good time for that. We're going to have a special theme. Toys for boys. Toys for boys. Cartoons fueled by a toy line aimed at boys. Now, here's my pick, Matsy. Uh-huh. Transformers, the Headmasters. Ooh. Episode five, Rebellion on Planet Beast. Okay, this is, this is from after I stopped watching the Transformers cartoon, but I saw it show up. Like, you know, I would flip past it here and there, and I saw that the Headmasters were a thing. And I've always had this vague curiosity about it. So, Well, you're not watching that one. Oh. So there is like a season four of Transformers that is only a handful of episodes long that covers the Headmasters. Okay. However, the Japanese continuity continued and ignored that stuff. Hmm. So they have an alternate take on the Headmasters. Both are good in their own way. Um... So this one requires notes because we're starting at episode five. Okay. First off, I would say watch any version you want, but I recommend watching the terrible fan dub (laughs) and then taking a glimpse at the original uh, voices for context, the original sound, I should say. Um, And where we are in the storyline, Cybertron is a dead planet and Rodimus is again leading the Autobots. Okay. The Headmasters are refugees from the Great Transformer War, the Great Cybertronian War. So they're like, they don't contextualize this, but they're uh, smaller robots that I guess would have been driving or riding those vehicles. Mm -hmm. And they, they fled, but have since come back as the Headmasters, able to transform into the heads that fit on Transtector's big Transformer bodies. Okay. And I think that's all you really need to know for it. Oh, boy. <laughs> okay. Well, interesting. I'm, I'm curious to see how all this mess turns out. Um, mm. For me, when you said Toys for Boys, that could really be almost any cartoon in the 80s. So Truly. I decided to lean into it by picking one where it was an existing toy for girls that they didn't turned around and made a boy's version of. Uh-huh. you have any idea what this might be? Mighty Max? Mighty Max! Ah, cool. And I'm not going to make you contextualize anything. I'm just going to make you watch the first episode, which is called... I think it's called A Bellwether in His Cap? Okay. Boy, 
What a literate title for Mighty Max. <laughs> yeah. Okay. First episode of Mighty Max. Looking forward to it. I like that cartoon. Yeah, I I remember having a friend who was like, oh, no, dude, you've got to watch this show. It's actually really good. Um, my understanding is that it's almost inhumanoids in its horror elements. Right, right. That's a good comparison. Okay, so that's what's up next week. Going to be a good one, I think. Yeah. In the meanwhile, we would like all you celery stalkers out there to let us know what you think of the show. And uh, tell us what you'd like us to watch. You can find me at DrabSwatch on Twitter. And you can find me at AC Matsy on Twitter. So until next time, remember the Celery Stalker slogan. Hey, my resident, all right.